today on Ag News Daily. And it just came over the plains. We had three systems that took off, one in the northern plains, one in the southern plains, one in the central plains. And as they went across, this has brought up the month-to-date precipitation totals in a big way and chased a lot of us out of the fields. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Selene Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. Ashton, you're not feeling so hot today, are you? No, I'm not. I was complaining. I honestly think I sound a little bit worse today than I have earlier in well, the week. But I had complained earlier in the week that I wasn't feeling well. And I went to the doctor today and turns out I have strep throat. So it's not going yeah, to be a fun-filled weekend for me. Probably just going to be laying in bed, taking my medicine, taking some naps. So just going to recharge and rest this weekend. Well, we appreciate that you're still on the podcast today. Oh, absolutely. There's no way that I could miss out on a Friday episode, especially because we are having an interesting conversation later on with Eric Snodgrass. So folks will have to stay tuned as we chat weather with him. You certainly should, folks. But I want to go ahead and dive into some news today. This is not such a Friday piece of news here, Ashton, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. In Northwest Minnesota, a farmer has officially been charged with crop insurance fraud and apparently, according to his attorneys, is prepared to enter a guilty plea. Now, this farmer, Kevin John Nelson, was charged back in September. He's from Lake Park, Minnesota, was charged after allegedly reporting false information to the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation. Back in 2018, he's gone through a couple different teleconference hearings. And so far, it sounds like due to harvest, this is what he's blaming his guilty plea on. Not necessarily that he's admitting guilt, but just the fact that he is in the middle of harvest and can't possibly deal with going either to, you know, the Twin Cities area to be in person for this court date and or continue to waste any time on teleconferences, at least That's the way this article I'm reading is shaping the story. But essentially what he did here in 2019 and 2018 was filed basically incorrect data to collect crop insurance money. And he collected quite a bit of crop insurance money, about $548,000. So just half a million dollars there he collected over two years And so we haven't officially got his guilty plea, but his attorneys say that is the way he is leaning. You know, Delaney, I'm always scared that there's some kind of money that I owe to the government or something like that. And the IRS is going to come for me. It's a big fear of mine. So I can't imagine the kind of trouble that this guy is in. Yeah, he could face. Let me see here. I want to say 15 years in prison. It might have been 30 30 years in prison or like a million dollars in fines. Well, where did I see that? I'll find it. Don't worry. Yeah, he will face either a million dollars in fines or 30 years in prison. Unless, again, because if he potentially pleads guilty, they may go for some sort of plea deal. So that's quite a bit of a quite a bit of punishment there for that. Yeah, it just does not seem worth it to me, Delaney. But on the other hand, I'm going to kick things over here to talk about some of the issues that we've been seeing with our supply chain disruptions and those kinds of things. Of course, I believe it was yesterday that we talked about President Biden's decision um, to open up the ports on the West Coast 24-7. 
And we've now seen Mike Steenhook, who is the director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, say that this decision to ease supply chain concerns is a positive step. However, it's not going to be a quick fix for the supply chain. He says that any step toward that should be helpful. We're hopeful that it'll it will provide some degree of relief. There's just so much stress here in the supply chain, especially when it's coming to our ports right now. I mean, we talked about this the other day about the backlog we're seeing. So we're just seeing some people kind of come out and talk about this. Haven't had really any word from President Biden other than this announcement to open up those ports 24-7. But we're seeing that this is a positive step. However, it's not going to be a long-term solution. But I think that that's kind of something that we already knew, Delaney. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, nobody's really touching on the fact that, yes, they may be opening the ports for 24 hours a day, but do they have the labor force to have those ports staff? That's the big question, I think, still. Exactly right. Well, Ashton, along those same supply chain issues, I want to talk fertilizer here for just a moment. I think I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday, but wanted to make sure because we just saw MAP fertilizer prices hit $800 per ton as retail prices continue to spike. We've seen potash about 13% higher compared to last month, urea 11% higher, and now UAN3 and MAP were both 6% higher compared to last month. So fertilizer is continuing to trend higher. Well, Delaney, I am going to keep talking here about some supply chain issues, and this time I'm going to take a further look into the espresso industry. I'm more of just a simple K-cup kind of person, but if you are one of the fancy coffee makers, you might see that the price tag for espresso has gone up and probably will continue to stay pretty high at the grocery store because of container shortages and, of course, port congestion. These excessive costs are going to be here for an extended time since they may make it tougher for the market to rebalance on a global standpoint. So we're not just seeing this issue, of course, here in the U.S., but it sounds like globally we're going to be seeing some more issues in even more industries. Yeah, I think it's going to be a long-term problem. We continue to figure out how we adjust and move forward. And one of those industries that's continuing to be impacted as well is our import industry, more specifically corn and soybeans. However, we did see this morning, China purchased another 4.8 million bushels of U.S. soybeans here within the past 24 hours, along with 14.6 million bushels sold to, quote, unknown destinations. Again, though, the big problem is they're buying soybeans, but are we actually going to be able to export and physically ship those purchases? That's still kind of the big question mark here. Delaney, I just have one other story to share today. Not a whole lot of information or news stories to talk about today, but the one thing that I am ending on is concerning bird flu. It's been some time since we have seen a case come about, but Israel has reported an outbreak of H5N1 bird flu on a poultry farm in the northern portion of the country. This outbreak killed 100 poultry birds with another 25,000 in the flock slaughtered. So we're continuing to keep our eyes out on this disease as it seems that it's hitting many countries pretty hard. 
It certainly does, Ashton. And as we wrap up today's news, I just wanted to make mention that we reported yesterday on the John Deere strike. As of this afternoon, I'm still not seeing any news, any new updates. So those folks are still going to be on strike over the weekend. I am glad that you mentioned that, Delaney, because I didn't see anything today either. So I just wasn't going to report on it. But I'm glad that we were able to kind of give a little bit of an update. I guess it's really not an update since there's really no new information out there. No, there certainly isn't, at least at this time. But new information we do have today, Ashton, is where the commodity markets ended for today. What do you say we hop in? Let's do it. Fantastic, folks. We are chatting weather here in just a moment. But ahead of that time, let's talk about where markets ended for today, because of course, they are impacted by the weather as well. December corn contracts today up nine cents to close at 525 and three quarters. The March up eight and a half to close at 534 and a quarter. In the soybean pits today, the November contract up 11 and a half cents to close the day out at 1217 and three quarters. Rumors are having it that potentially we put in our harvest low now for the year, but we'll get Darren Newsom's take on that on Monday. January soybeans today up 10 and three quarters cents to 26 and a quarter. In the Chicago wheat pits today, we saw strength as the December contract added nine and a quarter cents to close at 734. The March up nine and three quarters cents to close at 746 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits today, Ashton, we saw mixed straight as it came to the cattle complex. December live cattle up 67 and a half cents to close at 13097 and a half. The February up 70 to close at 13535. Weakness today in the feeder cattle pits as the November contract shed 72 and a half cents to close at 16142 and a half. The January down 82 and a half cents to close at 16152 and a half. And in lean hogs, we finally saw some strength today. The December contract at 95 cents today to close at 78. 27 and a half. The February up a dollar oh two and a half to close the day out at 81.32 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here in the class three dairy milk futures, November down four cents today to close at 19.32. The December down 11 to close at 18.74. Folks, without further ado, we're going to chat weather with Eric Snodgrass for today's Friday conversation. Well, folks, for today's Hashtag Fry Yay episode, uh, maybe not such wonderful news coming from Science Fellow for Nutrient Ag Solutions, Eric Snodgrass, because we've had a lot of inclement weather, a lot of folks being pushed out of the fields this week due to wet weather, snowfall in some parts of the U.S., and we're going to get to that. But Eric, I've been kicking around this question in my head, and I feel like you're the perfect person to have a little discussion with on this, and that is... Have we simply grown enough technology here in the United States from a crop perspective to simply grow us out of a weather market? Oh, my goodness. If I had the perfect answer for that question, <laughs> uh, we, you and I'd be making a lot of money, wouldn't we? Um, some, in some regards, yes. Uh, it feels as though we're building resiliency, right? right? We, 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 in other words, I just talked to a guy of northern Iowa, and he said, we didn't have any rain until the end of August. And all of a sudden, though, crop yields look fantastic. I mean, June, July, so dry. Most of August, so dry. It rains at the end of August. And I would have thought we'd have yields close to 2012. And instead, he's saying we end up doing just fine. We had a discussion about seed technology, advancements in planting technology. And, you know, are we becoming more resilient? And to be honest with you, 
I would kind of say, yes, we're getting better at farming in adverse weather. And that poses an interesting question when you talk about the commodity market side of things. But from a grower's perspective, that's good news that they know even if they have really dry or really wet years, they probably have the seed technology in place to ensure profitability to some extent. But Eric, while, while we're in that same vein talking about inclement weather, we've had a lot of inclement weather when it comes to rainfall here over the past seven days. Can you walk us through that weather pattern that's been happening here across much of the Western and into Eastern Corn Belt? Yeah. In fact, this first map right here kind of gives us a good idea of what that looks like. And, and the problem has been that we had a deep trough that cut into the West and it just came over the plains. We had three systems that took off one in the Northern Plains, one in the Southern Plains, one in the Central Plains. And as they went across, this has brought up the month-to-date precipitation totals in a big way and chased a lot of us out of the fields. And then that second system came through and produced quite a bit of snow. Snow was in Wyoming, Montana, and the Western Dakotas. But overall, I think about the snow that that came into that area as an overall positive because it's going to melt as the temperatures come back up again, and it's going to recharge the soil there. And to recharge the soil moisture in that particular area is good, given the longstanding drought that we have in that region. So I'm excited to see that that's going to help improve the, the soil moisture problems we've been having in pockets of the Northern Plains getting back to Montana and Wyoming. So Eric, I just got to say, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts yesterday and they were talking about the weather and they said that if you talk about the weather on a podcast, that means that your podcast is probably on its downfall. It's going towards its death. So if we lose some of our audience members today, I think we're just going to have to come after you for that. I'll take all the blame. That's fine with me. (laughs) But I think that they were talking about the weather so much just because they were in California and they were recording and you could hear the thunder in the background. And it sounds like a good portion of California has gotten some rain. So when we're talking about a drought standpoint, of course, California has been in a real bad drought. Where are we looking at in terms of relief? Yeah, so I think the relief is going to get here sooner than later. And by soon, I mean, maybe after like October 20th to the 23rd, we're going to see the jet stream just all of a sudden zone out. That means it's not like when we zone out, but when I say zone out, it means it goes west to east. And that puts a ton of moisture through the atmosphere, shoves it over California, shoves it over the Sierra Nevada mountains, and we just pick up quite a bit of rainfall. So that's coming. That's a big shift for the west, and they are desperate for bringing in that moisture. Uh, meanwhile, I think the midsection of the country doesn't want another drop. And unfortunately, we're going to chase here at the end of this week and weekend, uh, a lot of folks out of the Eastern Corn Belt who want to, one, get things harvested, and two, remember, in the Eastern Corn plant, uh, corn Belt, we plant a lot of winter wheat. And that's an area that they got to get one crop out and the next crop in, and the windows are just shutting down tight. And we're just not quite yet done with rain from like Wyoming to Wisconsin. This is going to be an area that we're going to have to watch out to midweek next week for some more precipitation. But other than that, most folks are going to get a chance to get back in the fields. And Eric, as we kind of transition from talking precipitation into temperatures, some parts of the United States have even seen snowfall, which is an ideal. What do you think we're going to see here as far as frost? Are farmers, does that, is that something farmers need to be concerned about as they're trying to get the crop out? You know, Our discussion in 2019 was, please, 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 no early frost because we planted the crop so late. This year, people are begging for a frost. It's kind of funny. Like, we need a frost to stop this crop so that we can get it harvested. 
And what you've got right here, uh, when you look forward, is that, yeah, today on Friday, we had frost watches and frost advisories and freeze warnings that stretched even from the panhandle of Texas clear to North Dakota. We got some cooler air that is coming through. But that cooler air, we just kind of take a look at it here. You know, it's going to be present in the midsection of the country. It will then move to the east. But then we're going to replace it with another flash of some warmer conditions as we get into midweek next week. And overall, we just don't see any sort of sustained deep cold air across much of the United States. Now, for those that are in the Great Lakes and Northeast, I'm going to be watching again around October 22nd, 23rd, 24th for some colder air that might bring the first frost into the Northeast. You go out there you know, to the end of the month, and generally speaking, the midsection of North America tends to favor near normal to above normal temperatures, the cooler weather's in the West. So Eric, talking about this cool weather kind of brings the question to my mind about another polar vortex, because I've seen a couple of different articles talking about a polar vortex and that we could potentially see another one this year. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, the polar vortex has been around since planet Earth has been a planet with an atmosphere. So it's always there. It's just when does it make a visit to North America? Because normally the polar vortex likes to sit on the North Pole or the South Pole. Last year, we had that crazy event in early February where combined with several other meteorological factors, we unleashed Siberian air that came over the Arctic into Canada and then all the way down to the Gulf Coast. And that was a truly terrible event. Now, could we have forecast that days and weeks in advance? No, we saw it about a week out. You know, we could see that the cooler air was coming, but the magnitude was just incredible. There's a chance for something like that to happen every year. And not just for Texas, it could hit the West, could hit the East, could hit the Northern Plains. Any place in North America is vulnerable to something like that. But we can't forecast that more than maybe two to three weeks in advance to seeing something like that occur. And then even predicting the magnitude of it is very challenging to do. The polar vortex is a sub-seasonal weather phenomena. So saying what's going to do now for December, January, February isn't actually possible. Eric, as we wrap up our discussion today, I wanted to end on South America because that's a one we continue to talk about. You know, we just talked yesterday and this doesn't have anything to do with weather, but I just think it's interesting to note, you know, the fertilizer shortage we're experiencing here in the United States, they're also experiencing it down in South America. And we could see a large number of acres shift for what would usually be the Safrina corn crop. But right now they're currently planting their first season crop. What can we expect for that weather? Well, the monsoon hasn't struggled getting going this year. Unlike a year ago where it was terrible, this year it's it's moving along. If there's a place or maybe two places in the next 10 days that are drier, it's going to be parts of Mato Grosso and then Mato Grosso del Sol. There's a pocket in there that is showing some drier conditions. And then the other places really far in southern Brazil into Argentina. Argentina is where I start to get really worried, though, because looking longer term, the La Nina that's developing could affect Argentina, but planting progress, for example, in their biggest producing state, Mato Grosso, is way ahead of the five-year average and way ahead of last year. So they're going to get this first crop of beans in very, very quickly. And the longer-term forecast as we look out there through the month of November, again, the bigger concern is southern Brazil to Argentina. That's the area that I'm most concerned about, given the La Nina not getting enough moisture. We could possibly see drought development there. So in addition to what you're saying with issues on uh, fertilizer prices, for example, or fertilizer availability, more importantly, um, we could also have Mother Nature giving us some drought concerns in southern Brazil and in Argentina. 
But Eric, that Southern Brazil portion, are we talking the part that is the number one soybean slash corn producing area? Or are we talking further south? Further south. So the main producing area would be Mato Grosso. You could probably fit five Iowas inside of Mato Grosso. And then you go south of there to Mato Grosso do Sol. So do Sol means of the south. And then you go into Paraná and then down to Rio Grande do Sol. So I'm really concerned about Paraná to Rio Grande do Sol to Uruguay, this region down in that part of southern Brazil. And then just go directly west of there and you are in Argentina. So my main concern is going to be down here in this particular region in southern Brazil and Argentina that we could have the problems. And if I could just put a number on it, about 35% of the total crop is grown from Paraná down to Rio Grande do Sol. The rest of it is grown in northern and then eastern Brazilian growing areas. Well, that's definitely still a notable area to mm-hmm. make sure we follow along here as they get into that growing season. But Eric, we talk a lot about your newsletter. I share a lot of tidbits and insight you share in your daily newsletter. For those of our listeners that want to get signed up for it themselves, it's free. How can they do that? Yeah, there's a website. It's just info.nutrient.com forward slash snodgrass. That's my last name. Then an underscore weather. And uh, if you go to that website, info.nutrient.com forward slash snodgrass underscore weather, all you need to do is put your email in it right here. And once your email's in, you can hit subscribe and you'll get it, start getting it. There's one rule, just check it once every 11 days. If you don't check it once every 11 days, we assume you don't want it anymore and just take you off the list. So just make sure you open that email. Uh, But I have all this content in there, plus some brand new stuff that's coming out here in the next month. So I'm excited to share that. So that's it. Fantastic. Well, Eric, we certainly appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again there to Eric for coming on and talking weather with us. Hopefully we didn't lose any audience members because we were talking weather today. No. Yeah. I know you mentioned this on the podcast um, or that you listened to a podcast that said that was when you know you've hit your peak is when you start to talk about weather. But weather is a very important topic to talk about in agriculture. So I'd like to think we didn't lose any listeners over that one, Ashton. Yeah, their podcast is about true crime. So I think that we're at very opposite ends of the podcast spectrum. But folks, if you want to tune in over the weekend, and I'm glad that I actually said that because we have a special Saturday episode coming out tomorrow. So please be sure to tune in to that at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.